You're listening to Thursday Night Tailgate with Chris Mascaro and Bob Lazari, where NFL legends live on. Back to you, boys. All right, now back with us and making his ninth appearance here on Thursday Night Tailgate is former Pro Bowl quarterback Chris Miller. Let me remind you about Chris's background. He's from Pomona, California. Played his high school football at Eugene Sheldon High in Eugene, Oregon, and went on to play his college ball at the University of Oregon, where he remains sixth all-time in passing yards and eighth in touchdown passes. 1999, he was inducted into the University of Oregon Athletics Hall of Fame, and in 2005, he was inducted into the State of Oregon Sports Hall of Fame. He was a first-round draft pick, the 13th overall selection in 1987 by the Atlanta Falcons, played in the NFL from 87 to 99 for the Falcons, Rams, and Broncos. He was named to the Pro Bowl in 1991 and led the Falcons to their first playoff appearance in nearly a decade. Over the course of his career, he threw for just over 19,000 yards and 123 touchdowns. He was the offensive coordinator for the Houston Roughnecks in the XFL in their last go-round. He's a member of our guest Hall of Fame, and I've got my Chris Miller jersey on tonight out of our deep appreciation for him. And we welcome him back to Thursday Night Tailgate. Hey, Chris. Hi, Chris. Chris and Bob here. How are you, my friend? I didn't know they still made jerseys of mine, man. I am uh, I'm extremely <laughs> flattered. Uh, my ninth time on with you guys. It's it's a pleasure. I hope you guys are both doing well. I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Chris, so catch us up, man. It's been, it's been a minute since uh, we had you on the show. I think the last time we had you on, you and P.J. Walker were there tearing up the XFL with your offense. Catch us up with what's been going on with you. Well, I think I think I've been staying out of your way. You can keep climbing the charts on your on your two podcasts. I think you're like fourteen <laughs> or fifteen and five in the country in your podcast. So uh, hopefully I don't jinx that. But no, I've just been uh, you know since we were in the XFL in 2020 and we we're five and zero oh and leading the thing and, and having a blast and then COVID hit. Um, you know, I came back to Oregon and was kind of procured by my old high school that I was coaching at that I had stepped away from. And so they, they kind of came after me real hard when the guy they hired ended up going down to UCLA with Chip Kelly. So I coached uh, our spring season in, in 2021, which was a six-game season. And we went 6-0 and and were unanimous number one in the state of Oregon and beat everybody by an average of 30. So I had a really good group. And uh, we graduated a bunch of seniors, and I just coached the – Fall season in 2021, we made it to the semifinals with, with a lot of 15 new starters and playing three quarterbacks. And so really I've just been kind of coaching and, and working out. And during COVID, I had three surgeries to kind of get my body right from some NFL things from back in the day. And so really just some self, uh, uh, preserverance, I guess the word is, and then coaching ball. Chris, talking about the the XFL, I'm I'm I got to be curious here. We know that uh, things are starting to warm up around there. We've seen some leadership positions get announced recently, and um, based on your success and the great things that you were able to achieve during that short period of time in the last reboot of the XFL, are we going to see you back there? Well, it, it it'll be uh, it remains to be seen. You know, a good friend of mine, June Jones. I'm kind of riding his coattails. He was our head coach uh, in Houston with the Houston Roughnecks, and he was my offensive coordinator back in the early 90s with the Atlanta Falcons, and one of my favorite people, so I really enjoy working for him. Uh, I thought we might lose him to Hawaii for that uh, head coaching job over there, but apparently that athletic director didn't put together a very appealing deal uh, to bring June back and, and try to reboot and get that thing rebuilt over there. So 
I think uh, June has been in contact with some XFL folks. It looks like they just hired uh, the new uh, league president and head of football ops and like an eight-person executive team. So it looks like they're definitely planning on moving forward, Dwayne Rock Johnson and Danny Garcia and, and their investment group. So I would imagine if they do reboot it and start uh, preparing it for a 2023 spring return, that they'll start hiring some head coaches maybe in late spring, early summer, uh, and get some of those balls rolling. So if June gets rehired, uh, I think I'll have a good chance to maybe connect with him again. Chris, I want to get your thought on the Rams. They've lost six in a row to the 49ers. What do they have to do to break that string? I tell you what, it's pretty cool because I know Sean McVay and, and uh, Kyle Shanahan pretty well, uh, both those guys, when I was coaching with the Arizona Cardinals. As a quarterback coach, I hung out with those guys at the NFL Combine in, in Indianapolis. So uh, along with Matt LaFleur and Green Bay, uh, it's been fun to really watch those three evolve. And when I played with the Denver Broncos in 1999, Mike Shanahan, of course, was the head coach, and Kyle Shanahan was at Duke, playing at Duke, and he would come back and hang out with the Broncos. So it's been really fun for me to watch those guys kind of uh, evolve as coaches and then where they're at now. But you know, San Francisco is playing such a physical, tough brand of football. Um, but I've been impressed by by the Rams' defense as well. Their defense, Von Miller, had a terrific game. I think nine tackles, nine nine pressures, and maybe a sack or two, and three tackles for losses, and maybe a forced fumble and a recovery. So he had an incredible game. And then, of course, uh, oh, Aaron Donald inside is just a beast. But you know, Matthew Stafford, I was proud with some of the throws he made in the Tampa Bay game. I thought he stepped up in, in big moments and made those plays. One of our guys, a uh, Northwest guy, Cooper Cup, has absolutely been balling. Um, and and the running back who came back, uh, who had been gone for a while, I think this was the second week back, number 23, I can't pull his name right now, but he played a, a big role. What's his name? Remind me. Akers. Akers? Yeah, yeah, Akers. Other than those two fumbles, you know, he had those two fumbles which really kept Tampa in it. But, uh, you know, that run game really helps, too, and it really kind of opens up their play-action game, which I think Stafford thrives in. Now, for San Fran to, to win seven straight, I mean, they've, got, they've obviously got their number. It's the third time they're going to meet. All the, all the experts say that it's really hard to beat somebody three times in a season. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it'll probably come down to the fourth quarter, like all four games did last weekend. It's going to be a physical football game. Uh, turnovers obviously is going to be key and critical and, and Stafford's going to have to play clean. So is Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he can't have his one four turnover, bad timing turnover per game that it seems like he's been having, but I can't wait to watch it. Bob, questions for Chris? Yeah, Chris, it's always great to speak with you. And I, w- I want to take you back to your other old team, the Falcons. And, you know, we've had Barkowski on the show and, and yourself, and, uh, you know, it makes me think of uh, a guy like Matt Ryan, Chris, who, um, you know, this guy has been in the league 14 years, and uh, to me, it's almost like he deserves better, because if you look at his numbers, he's always been one of the smartest guys on the field, but his numbers are really, really obscene when you look at him, but, uh, you know, not too much to show for it over the years, Chris, as far as posts yeah. and stuff, and championships, uh what do you know about his uh, possible future? I mean, he's done 14 years. Uh, is he still at that point where he's hungry, that he thinks he can win? I mean, what do you know about Matt Ryan, your opinion of him? Well, I went to a game this year when they played Carolina at home. And uh, 
you know, it was a defensive battle. I think it was like 19-13, 16-13, something like that. It was a real physical football game. And Carolina had like two 16-play drives in that game, which was crazy. But, you know, Matt was taking a, a lot of hits. Uh, he was getting a lot of pressure this year. Um, and, and that was kind of the uh, the norm for him, I think, during the season. One of their best wide receivers uh, stepped away from football for some mental health care. Um which I know uh, really hurt him. I think it was Calvin Ridley uh, did that. And then they have the young tight end from Florida who's a big-time player, but really there weren't any other big threats that defenses had to worry about. So they took the tight end away and really focused on him and would double-team him some. And, you know, Matt was kind of left out to dry with not not a great arsenal, not great guys or talent around him. So, you know, I don't care who you are. You've got to have bullets in your gun. And I think, you know, one of his regrets, one of Kyle Shanahan's regrets is when they were up 28-3 against the uh, New England Patriots late in the third quarter in the Super Bowl. You know, that might have been his one shot uh, to win the Super Bowl, much like Dan Marino in year two of his career. You know, Danny thought he was going to get back to more, but he never got a second chance. So I think Matt still has a lot of juice in the tank. He sees it well. He gets it out very well. He's a great leader. Still has a physical presence in there. He moves around well enough in the pocket. Uh, but you got to put talent and people and bodies around him. I'm not sure contractually where he stands right now, if he's a free agent or, you know, looking for a trade. But that's just one of those organizations that every once in a while they'll get there. You know, Chris Chandler helped get him there in 1998, and and then they got there with Matt. But more often than not, they've been having losing seasons, and they've kind of been in rebuild. And, Chris, when you were in the league, you know, you were 6'2", over 200 pounds, probably an average or above-average-sized quarterback. And, and now we're seeing guys 6'5", 6'6". And, and Chris and I were talking about Josh Allen uh, at the beginning of the show uh, and, and what he yeah. does. And I know it's his game right now, Chris, but how much can that go on? How long can that go on? How long can his body take that kind of beating? i tell you what, he's six four, maybe six five, and he's probably 240, 245. Um, right. And he's just a dude, man. He is just a dude. He's tough. He's physical. He's big. You, you know, you look at his neck, and he looks like a linebacker. He looks like Brian Erlocker, you know, with, his line, with a linebacker neck. But, you know, he's one of those guys that kind of picks his spots. I think in big moments in games, he'll take off and run or he'll take off and go and Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator, does a nice job strategically of using him in the right moment. So I think when the moments are bigger, he tends to take off and run more. But I think what's been impressed, what, what impressed me the most was that, you know, there was some unknown with him coming out of Wyoming. And, you know, he's just turned into a great leader. He's maybe, maybe Jim Kelly being around there a little bit in Buffalo has helped him. But, you know, I mean, he had nine touchdown passes in the last two playoff games and only 12 incompletions. Uh, which is amazing, and the kid played incredibly well. Uh, it's too bad their defense, or they did squib kick it late in the game and chew up some clock and give Mahomes two plays to kick a game-tying field goal. But, uh, you know, he's been playing fantastic. And I think his brand of football will last. I think he's durable enough, and, and they don't, they're not running him all the time, just kind of in the bigger moments, I think. Hey, Chris, I want to go back to your time when you got drafted in 87, came here to Atlanta. They had yeah. Scott Campbell, David Archer, Eric Kramer also at different times of the season on the roster. You know, I guess the question always becomes when you draft a, a rookie quarterback, is it better to throw him out there sort of like they did with Peyton Manning? Throw him out there, let him make his mistakes. We'll take the, the bumps, you know, the first year or two. 
And from there, we're yeah. on our way. Or is it better to stand on the sidelines, let them learn and, uh, and grow that way? For you, was it, was it good for you to sit and watch these other guys and pick their brains? Or we, do you think it's better just to get thrown in and, and take your lumps? That's a great question, Chris. I think number one is, you know, how are the guys maturity wise? Are they ready? Are they kind of ready to go? Are they plug and play guys who can have some training camp and learn it and then kind of learn on the fly, if you will, which a lot of college kids are coming out ready made now. I think the high school coaching is so much better and, and I think the, uh, the college coaching is better. I think these guys come out more ready made, at least physically and, and mentally prepared and such. Um, I think when I got to Atlanta, it was a strike year in 1987. So I didn't sign till Halloween night. There were, there were about 13 or 14 of us first round guys that didn't sign till Halloween. So when I got there, the Falcons were two and seven and it was kind of a, a, a morbid feeling around there. You know, it was pressing and, and half the guys, you know, had their bags packed and were ready for the season to be done. I think we ended up only playing 15 games that year. So. It wasn't what you would think the excitement and the opportunity to go through training camp and learn and get reps and be developed. So they threw me in in the last two and a half games of the year against the Rams, the 49ers, and, and uh, Detroit in the last game. And really my rookie year became 1988, um, you know, where I got my feet wet and played better. But, you know, when I went to Atlanta, they didn't have a general manager. and The Five Smith family uh, ran the organization, and they had three winning seasons in 23 years. So. You know, back then there were organizations like maybe Cincinnati and Atlanta and Detroit and some other ones who weren't really perennial winners, you know, Tampa Bay maybe in that mix, and and they weren't spending the money on free agency and such, and there wasn't Plan B or free agency at the time. So there was a big discrepancy from the, the best organizations to maybe ones that were just trying to kind of make it, you know. So, um, But nowadays, guys like Justin Herbert, who's a friend of mine who I know, his dad was a high school teammate of mine, and and, uh, you know, the, the quarterback from Cincinnati, who's just balling Joe Burrow. And, you know, uh, I can't, I've always butchered the quarterback's name in Miami from Alabama, Ty Tuafangaloa, Tua however you say it. But, you know, he kind of had some bumps and bruises and injury, but he stepped in. But really what Joe Burrow and, and Justin Herbert are doing in year two, I think is quite remarkable and amazing. So I think it varies for, for, uh, each. Uh, quarterback each individual and I also think it varies uh, amount uh, around the amount of talent they have with them you know do these guys have to go out and win the game on their own or do they have to play good defense do they have a run game presence and these guys can kind of go in and not have to win the game on their own and Chris when I think about you know whether you come in and play right away as a rookie or organizations having patience with a young quarterback as as he grows to learn the game and the game slows down for him I always go Go back to Terry Bradshaw. I mean, Brad wasn't wasn't a very good quarterback for his first several seasons in in the league, and I'm not <laughs> sure there would be a Terry Bradshaw if he played in the league now. Because if you're not if you're yeah. not really knocking it out of the park in your first five, ten, fifteen games, all of a sudden everybody's ready to throw you to the scrap heap and move on and, and label you a bust. From from yeah. your perspective, how long does it take for the game to really slow down? for a young quarterback to, in order to, you know, to feel comfortable? And how long should an organization really give a guy that they've invested a, a top of the first round draft pick in before they, they decide that that person's not going to be the franchise quarterback? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. You know, it's such an instant gratification industry and, 
and the expectation for fans, even at the collegiate level now, they're spoiled. You know, a lot of, a lot of fans, they want results now and, and, uh, and so to speak, like you talked about, Chris. But, you know, I think, uh, with Aaron Rodgers, I think Aaron Rodgers sat three years behind Brett Favre, you know, and it served Aaron great. He got to learn behind one of the best players ever. And, and there's been many quarterbacks. Uh, you know, you talked about Peyton Manning, who played his rookie year and went through a lot of bumps and bruises and tough times. And Troy Aikman played his rookie year and was one in 15. Uh, and ended up winning three Super Bowls in his career once Jimmy Johnson got all those great draft picks and some key free agents they brought in and built a terrific roster. So, you know, it's hard. Like the quarterback, Trey Lance, at uh, San Francisco with the 49ers, you know, he and Jimmy Garoppolo were going to be in a competition. And, you know, if Jimmy can win this game uh, Sunday and take his team to the Super Bowl, uh, it's, you know, they'd be hard-pressed to make a change at quarterback there. So maybe that Trey Lance is learning under Garoppolo for two or three years. And, and if Jimmy kind of holds down the fort, well, now you have some trade value there. If another organization deems that, you know, Trey Lance has value. So, you know, it's tough. I think the quarterback up in, in uh, Chicago right now, I think he showed some good signs. He was maybe, you know, he was in a pretty high prolific passing offense at Ohio State and, and, but he doesn't have a great roster around him right now. You know, I saw they probably hired a new coach today. So it's going to take two or three years to kind of rebuild that thing. And, Fans and the organization have to be patient with a young quarterback like that, that I think they confident in his abilities to lead him in the future. And Chris, thinking about when you were quarterback, I mean, one of the things we see right now is completion percentage for quarterbacks around the league. I mean, this is in the upper 60s, sometimes in the 70s now. And when you played, yeah. I mean, it was good to get into the mid 50s, low 60s was unbelievable. I mean, I looked at you know, completion percentage for quarterbacks. You were at 54.6 for your career. You know, John Elway was 56.9. Marino was 59.4. Yeah. Kelly at 60. I mean, those were where quarterbacks were at. So, I mean, if nothing else, those numbers tell you how different the game was when you played versus the game now. But for our listeners who don't remember, because we always like to compare quarterbacks from era to era to era, which to me, I think is, is just not something you could do because the rules change and all of that. But remind our listeners what it was like for you and quarterbacks of your era versus what you see the game now. Well, that's a great point, Chris. I mean, well, I think in 1992, unfortunately, I blew my knee in about week eight or nine, and I was second in the NFL in quarterback rating behind Steve Young. And Steve Young or Joe Montana was always at the top running the West Coast offense. And I think, gosh, I think my quarterback rating was 90, 90, Two ninety three or something, and Steve might have been ninety six or ninety seven, which led the NFL. And guys now are like one oh five, one oh eight, one ten, one twelve. Um, I think number one, the game has evolved. I think the rules are uh, in tremendous favor for the quarterbacks. Um, you know, I mean, there's some personal foul penalties they call on defenders that I just feel guilty. I feel sorry for them because, <laughs> you know, they barely touch a quarterback or made scrape his chin strap or, you know, hit him late barely and it's a little gen gentle shove or push. And, you know, these are big men who lift a lot of weight and are violent football players and they're having to play at times very careful, which is unorthodox for our game. But so the game's changed in a, in a huge way with the rules, which I think obviously it lends itself to great offense. It lends itself to the type of statistics that are going down now. Like you talked about the Gabriel Davis had four touchdowns, you know, this past weekend and in the 
percentage and high percentage, you know, nine touchdown passes compared to 12 incompletions uh, for Josh to Allen. And so, you know, it's just a different day. And it, these athletes are tremendous now. The receivers are getting bigger. The quarterbacks are getting more skilled. I think as time moves along, you know, diet and conditioning, Tom Brady's sleeping nine hours a night. You know, he's been playing for 20-some years now, and he's darn near 45. And so I think diet, nutrition, people are aware of a lot more. I know when I was in Atlanta and hanging out with Elway and Marino and Jim Kelly and a bunch of those dudes, uh, we kind of lived large back in the day and, and drank a lot of beer and we had played a lot of golf during the off season. We had a really good time. And uh, But then when, when it was time to play ball, we really focused on that. But I feel like the NFL job, these guys really stayed dialed in about 10 months out of the year or so. So, But it's fun to watch. And, and these guys, you know, are making $30 million, $25, 30 $35 million a year as quarterbacks. So from a from a fan standpoint and an ownership standpoint, you want to keep them healthy. So the rules, I think, are good where they're at. Bob, one more for Chris before we let him go. Yeah, Chris, I always like to, to pick the brains of our guests and, and talk about an ex-teammate and uh, just to get their name out there again. And guy that I saw you played with, um, who ended up being one of the best receivers in the league was Andre Risen. When he came in 1990, um, I mean, there was years there, Chris, where he had a five-year stretch of about 6,000 yards and 80 to 90 catches a year, and he was targeted an awful lot. Uh, what do you remember yeah. of Bad Moon Risen and um, why he was targeted so much? He was just a great receiver. Yeah, I think one thing that really helped him is I had a wide receiver named Michael Haynes, who was the second fastest man in the NFL behind Daryl Green. Yeah. So, you know, Michael, Michael kind of took the top off the coverages, and Andre did all the the work over the middle of the field and running sail routes and some run and shoot out routes, why out and why sail and why motion back flag and some of those things. And, and I think Andre, you know, his motivation, he wanted to be better than Jerry Rice. You know, in his mind, he was better than Jerry Rice, maybe for that stretch. And that's really what motivated him, man. He was a competitive dude, and, and he lived large. You know, he was a, you know, he was out there doing his thing, you know, during the off season or maybe even in season. But when the lights came on on Sundays, the dude was just a baller. And uh, he was probably as explosive off the ball and coming in and out of a break or making a speed cut like we do in the NFL, he was as explosive as anyone I've ever seen. I mean, he the burst off the ball in and out of a cut was really, really, really special. And Andre would tell you every time he came back to the huddle, hey, Steve Mill, I was open, man. I was open. you got to find me and give me the ball. Then we'd go back and watch film, and he'd be double covered. I'm like, Dre, you're blanketed here, bro. I couldn't throw that to you. So. You know, he had that mentality, just that he was a fierce competitor and loved the game. And, and I tell you, on, on, in key moments in games on third and fourth downs, he's always a guy who wanted the rock. And 98, 99% of the time, he'd make the play for you. But he was special for sure. Chris, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's online or it's on social media? Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I kind of, somebody hacked my Twitter, so I got off of Twitter and, and uh, I haven't gotten back on there, but I am on Facebook. I don't even know what my Facebook address is. Uh, it's Chris Miller. It's got a picture of me and my two kids and, and it's in the background. It's got, uh, Jesse Tuggle and myself and Jerry Glanville and Robert Lyles and, and, uh, Mike Haynes, uh, from our 30 year anniversary deal we did back in Atlanta, uh, over the fall. So that's kind of my background, but, Really, other than that, man, I'm just coaching high school football. I train about eight or nine quarterbacks, uh, trying to pay it forward and, and pass along some knowledge. And 
tell you what, the good Lord's blessed me, and it's uh, wonderful talking to you guys. You guys do a tremendous job, so keep up the great work, man. Well, we appreciate you very much, Chris. All the best, my friend, to uh, to you and your family. I hope we get the opportunity to catch up with you again soon. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Best of luck and, and uh, happy 2022. Same to Take you. Take care, Chris. Take care, Chris. That's the great Chris Miller. I tell you what, Bob. If I were if I were a coach and I wanted uh, an offensive coordinator, I'd be looking to Chris Miller. I mean, the guy knows you know tons about obviously way way more than uh, than most about the game of football and the X's and the O's. Uh, but on top of all of that, if I was if I wanted a guy that was going to motivate my team, be a good leader, and somebody that I felt like could connect with the players and that they would feel comfortable talking to. And just be a good leader of men like our good friend Willie Simmons. Well, I'd right. sure I'd sure reach out to Chris Miller. Yeah, as you said, he, uh, he's talking the technical aspects of uh, the game, Chris, the X's and O's, and how he versed everything. And you know, this is a guy that spent a long time in the West Coast offense. Uh, man, that would be my choice. Uh, you know, if you want a wide open game and a guy that can uh, put the technical aspects to it, that's the man you want. Absolutely. All right, we've got our next guest, Tony Collins, with our five-star picks of the week hanging on the line. We're going to get to Tony right on the other side of this real quick station break. 